It may not surprise you to hear that many of the sermons being preached today are not drawing big crowds. In all too many cases, preaching is keeping people away from the church. And I'm not alone in this assessment. In his book, Why Johnny Can't Preach, David Gordon says, less than 30% of those who are ordained to the Christian ministry can preach an even mediocre sermon. And Ruth Gladhill wrote in The Times that, in many churches, this most vibrant of moments has withered to little more than 20 minutes of tired droning that serves only to pad out the gap between hymns and lunch. Ouch! But if many sermons today are bad, why did the preaching of the early church turn their world upside down? How did their sermons differ from what we heard last Sunday morning? If you would like to know the answer, join Vicki Hitzkiss, Nathan Norman, and Kent Edwards as they discover some of the reasons why Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2 was so successful. Welcome to Crosstalk, a Christian podcast whose goal is for us to encourage each other to not only increase our knowledge of the Bible, but to take the next step beyond information into transformation. Our goal is to bring the Bible to life, into all our lives. I'm Brian French. Today, Dr. Kent Edwards, Vicki Hitzkiss, and Nathan Norman continue their discussion through the book of Acts. And if you have a Bible handy, turn to Acts chapter 2, verse 13, as we join their discussion. Last year, Barner's research team asked local church pastors across the United States to identify their largest struggles or concerns about preaching. I've got the chart in front of you, uh, Nathan Vicky. What were their two top concerns, and do they surprise you? I was a part of this study. I took Ooh. the I took the survey. Tell, tell you did. <laughs> I don't know. They sent me a thing. They said, "Hey, we'll give you a ten dollar gift card if you do this study," <laughs> and I did the study. I took the survey. <laughs> Well, I've got a cheat sheet. I know what they are. Did you did you mention either of these things? You personally feeling unsure that my preaching is actually helping people grow as disciples of Jesus? No, Was that, that wasn't one of, one of my choices. No, or that wasn't okay. one of my uh, my selections. And and the other main thing, forty six. That was forty eight percent of pastors said that. Forty six percent of pastors said, "I feel unsure that the congregation is receiving and absorbing what I preach." You know, that was not one of my concerns. I think I chose an other and typed in something like highfalutin, but. Uh... <laughs> no, but think how tragic that is. That half of all pastors don't know if their preaching helps anyone spiritually. Yeah. And almost the same, don't think that what they're saying is even being heard by others. Their communication is so poor nobody is getting what they say and if they fear that they're probably correct oh they're absolutely correct yeah well yeah, yeah. If, if, if you are preaching in such a way that the bible is being absorbed and, and transforming people's lives you're going to see that their lives are transformed transformation is visible you'll watch yeah. it happen yeah i think one of the reasons for the poor state of preaching today. Some of it comes from training that many people receive. For many people, preaching is synonymous with lecturing. Mm. But <laughs> what I found interesting in looking at the literature that has been written for educating adults 
is that according to one author, as many as 70 to 80% of respondents say they would prefer to learn by any other method than classroom lectures. I mean, amen. They hate them. They absolutely hate them. There's a book called What's the Use of Lectures? You don't have to go and buy it. It's very expensive, but I did. Um, and <laughs> Why, thank you. <laughs> the author, Donald Bly, says that uh, lectures, well, they do transmit information, but no more effective than just reading a book. They're ineffective at promoting thought, ineffective at teaching values, ineffective at inspiring interest in a subject, ineffective in changing attitudes, and ineffective in teaching skills. So other than that, they're wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> But seriously, how often have you heard people lecture and call it preaching? Now, let's just contrast that with how Peter uh, preaches this sermon in Acts chapter 2. And I think, would you admit that, would you agree with me that perhaps this is a good sermon? With the impact that it had? Yeah, I, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> so I got to reverse engineer it. Why was this sermon so effective? Well, there's a number of observations that I make when I read this sermon. One is that it was relevant to his, his listeners, right? But I, because we read in verse 5 through 7. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they ask. Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own language? <laughs> so I'm pretty sure that Peter hadn't written out this sermon in advance. How can I be sure of that? The Holy Spirit just came upon them out of nowhere, it seemed, right? Yeah, they didn't know. They wasn't marked on their calendars. Then the crowd rushed to come see them. So, <laughs> so he's a brilliant communicator. So um, he's just going to church in the morning, <laughs> and they're like, "Hey, you're preaching!" Whoa, whoa, whoa! <laughs> I was just coming to attend. <laughs> so, now I know that in Acts chapter one, um, Jesus did a lot of teaching even after his resurrection about the coming of the kingdom and so on. And my hunch is he may have covered this material, but that doesn't excuse the fact that Peter is addressing a felt need. People are wondering what in the world is going on here? Why are people speaking in different languages that they didn't know previously and telling people about Jesus? And as you see, as we get into the, into the sermon, that's exactly the, the need that he addresses. And he does so not just by being relevant, but by being interactive. <laughs> uh, look at what it says in verses 12 and following. Amazed and perplexed, they ask each other, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. And then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my hunch is that's a joke. I think yeah. he was saying that to get their attention. I think he got a decent laugh or chuckle out of them. Vicki, you're the professional speaker. Do you find humor helpful? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. People love to laugh. In fact, 
I have often said they will settle for a lack of content if they can get a dopamine squirt. <laughs> well, that explains many comedians, right? Uh, it does. Yeah. You look at night, late night comedians or those that go on the circuit, they don't have hardly anything that's significant to say, but it's kind of fun <laughs> listening to them. Who gets paid more, a Harvard professor or a comedian? Ooh, that hurts. Oh, yeah. Ooh, that hurts. I may not be a Harvard professor, true. but it's true. It's true. There's, there's no question. So Peter is speaking to these people on a topic that they are concerned about, and it is interactive. He's already beginning to engage them, and you're going to see that continues as the as the sermon goes on. <laughs> and Nathan, and you've evaluated sermons academically. Do all introductions start as winsomely as this? No. <laughs> a good introduction raises interest and a lot of introductions just kind of say well this is what we're going to talk about today or open up your bible to such and such and that's the introduction <laughs> last week where romans chapter 6 verse 3 and now we're going to be starting in uh, six uh, chapter 6 verse 4 the first we'll half of verse the... 4 we only have enough time for the first half of verse 4 today we'll see it we'll see where the lord takes us <laughs> Maybe we'll get to 6A, but, you know, uh, we don't know that. So this message is relevant. It is interactive. But so far, that could be a comedian, right? Yeah, yeah. But Peter Im Im immediately pivots, and he is very biblical. Now, to say that a good sermon not need needs to be relevant, interactive, and biblical, isn't that kind of a go without saying that a sermon should be biblical? Uh, you would think so, but well, I, I remember in crosstalk when we are talking to students. Often, one of the the things mm -hmm. we tell them is a sermon starts with the Bible, right? So you start with what the Bible says, not with what you think you need the con the congregation needs to hear, not with your own ideas, not with whatever's popular. You start with the Bible, and that idea is is foreign to to many uh, preachers. Uh, just that idea alone. But I've certainly heard sermons that were not biblical and, uh, and it's very frustrating. You know, I, I can remember my wife and I with our kids, we went to some family camp thing. And so, oh, you, let, let's go listen to the, the camp speaker. He's so good. Everyone said, and it was just, I, I couldn't, I couldn't stay there. I was getting angry. I, was, I said to my wife, I can't stay here and continue to be a Christian. Because uh, <laughs> nothing he said came out of the Bible, even though he says, well, the Bible says, okay, well then read it. Like read what the Bible says, tell, you know, but it, saying the Bible says, and then saying whatever comes out of your, uh, hold on, edit. Uh, <laughs> not everything is biblical. Not every sermon, quote unquote, is biblical. You mean and a lot of really popular TV preachers are motivational speakers. Mm. They're not teaching the word, they're telling mm -hmm. you what you want to hear. Yeah, and sometimes they make it look like it's biblical by taking a phrase or a verse, maybe out of context, right. and tacking that on the end of the message that they want to give. Right. So, but not, not Peter, that's not at all. In fact, starting in verse 15, he says, these people are not drunk as you suppose. Notice how this is a very focused sermon addressing their need. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. And what did the prophet Joel say? In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. 
Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Like this is the perfect text for this occasion, is it not? It starts right at the beginning by saying, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Guess what they just saw? They just watched that. They're sitting there listening to it. Yeah. I know. And they're saying, and they're, the question in the mind and they keep asking is, what does this mean? Oh, I know what it means. It means that this is in the last days. And uh, guess what? The last days mean the great and glorious day of the Lord. Ooh. Ooh, remember, didn't we come across this a few weeks ago when we were looking at Second Peter? Yeah, the day of the Lord. That is when Jesus comes back to make all things right. He sets up his kingdom and he brings justice to the world. It's a great day if you're in Jesus Christ. It's a horrible day if you're not because he brings judgment. Yeah, and so Peter says, oh, good news. Yes, this speaking in tongues thing, everyone hearing the gospel in their own language, that's a sign that the day of the Lord is coming. And then he comes and makes it personal by saying in verse 21, And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Oh, so there's only one way to be saved. And that's only for those who call on the name of the Lord. Oh, that's good. But he increases the tension in verse 22 and following when he says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to you by God by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. See how personal this is? You all know who Jesus is. You've seen him do all these miracles. But then he continues in verse 23. He says, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Oh, so the good news is there's a savior. And if you call on his name, you can be saved. The bad news is you murdered him. You put him to death, yeah. Yeah, so that's not a good sign, given that the day of the Lord is here, and you know that because you've just seen all these people um, speaking in other languages about him. By the way, notice how Peter is going in and out of the biblical text. Isn't that interesting? He quotes the Bible, then he comes out and says, this is what you did, and then he goes back into the Bible. Again, this is interactive. He is engaging them. This is their story, what they're living in. And after quoting David in Psalm 16, he says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and have. Once again, Peter is interactive. He weaves in and out of the biblical text so that the listeners are participants in the story. Not just He's not just giving them a lecture, giving them facts. They're facts that are related to their life. It is The sermon is relevant. It is interactive. It is biblical. And it has a point. <laughs> what, is it, what is his point? He says in verse 36, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. 
God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Oh, now he comes and gets very personal. Why are you seeing people supernaturally speaking about Jesus in foreign languages? Because this shows that the day of God's judgment has arrived, and you just murdered the only one who can save you. Ooh. I'd pay attention to this. Yeah. This is, would you say this is a pointed talk? Do you, would you say it has a big idea? Oh, absolutely. And why is that so important? Why is the big idea so important for effective communication? There are so many ideas floating around my head right now and around the world for a any kind of message, any kind of sermon to be effective. You have to have a singular big idea so your audience can focus on it and soak in it so that they'll remember it. Vicki, what happens if you try to give a motivational talk and it doesn't have a big idea? People get scattered. And their minds go here, they go there, they go someplace else. And then they don't, well, they, might, they might remember a story, but if you're trying to make a point and you ought to have a point, they won't know what it is. They won't remember it. No, no. If you don't have a point, your talk was pointless. Uh -huh. <laughs> that's exactly right. Uh -huh. I mean, that's exactly right. I don't know why I should listen to it. I don't know what you're saying um, or why or who cares. I was in church at a church recently, and the preacher was preaching from 1 Corinthians 5. If you're familiar with that passage, it's where Paul is getting angry at the church because they're tolerating a man who is uh, sleeping with his father's wife. Kind of gross. And he says they better deal with it because otherwise a little yeast will work through the the whole dough and the church will be affected and you better discipline them. That's way better than the sermon I heard. I'm just <laughs> telling you, he walked on and on about sexual this and sexual that and the preacher got on to Levin and he's into his bread maker and what do you do? And <laughs> we, never, we never got to church discipline. We never got to what, like, what in the world are you talking about? That is not how Peter preaches. Peter is relevant to his listeners. He's interactive with his listeners. He's presenting the Bible and the intention of the original authors when he presents those, not his own ideas, but the idea of the text. He arranges it in a way that makes a central point. And did you notice the sermon is inductive, not deductive? What's the difference between an inductive sermon and a deductive sermon? Deductive, you tell them the idea right up front. Uh -huh. So Peter would start off saying, I'm going to tell you about Jesus the Messiah, who you killed and was your only hope at salvation at the day of the Lord. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and let me give you my reasons why, right? Uh, inductive, uh, he builds uh, tension and he doesn't give the big idea away until towards the end of the sermon. You basically have your audience screaming to know what the answer is uh, to your sermon by the end, because you've raised interest so high and tension is so high. They want to know what the, uh, the big idea is, what the answer is to their, their sermon, their message. Yeah, and it's effective. Because in verse 37, what happens when he, he raises his fever pitch? What does the crowd do? It says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, 
brothers, what shall we do? <laughs> Inductive communication is so prevalent in our society. It's hard for me to think outside of perhaps a formal business presentation when you would give information to an audience deductively by giving away the big idea at the beginning. But in every conversation we have, in every teaser for an upcoming movie or even for the weather that's going to be announced, they never give it all away up front. They always ask a question that surfaces some need to make you want to listen. And think about this. How many deductive sermons do you know were preached in the Bible? Yeah, I can't think of one either. There may be one somewhere, I don't know, but I can't think of one. Almost all of them. I, I, Maybe Jonah to Nineveh, because <laughs> it was only like a <laughs> sentence long, so... <laughs> 40 days, you're dead. Yeah. Here's the big keep, idea. <laughs> yeah, but keep in mind, he didn't want them to repent. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that makes my point. It wasn't an A um, sermon, I'll give you that. So it doesn't mean that deductive sermons are evil or wrong, but it does make them sound like lectures. And we've already talked about how lectures are not the best way to communicate truth. He organizes it inductively. And not only that, he has clear application. I mean, well, what does he say in verses 38 and following? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Now that's a clear application, right? Yep. This is where Peter answers the question, so what? So what do I do with all this information? Every sermon in the Bible is preached for transformational reasons, not for informational reasons. I, information is just the, the building blocks of the idea. And once we know what the idea is, then we can apply it to our lives. Nowhere does Paul or Peter or Stephen or Moses give information for information's sake. They are all calling for concrete behavioral change. I think that sermons that are relevant, interactive, biblical, have a point or organized inductively and have clear application, I think they're effective. Is that the kind of sermon you'd like to listen to? Absolutely. That's the kind of sermon that feels like it's only five minutes long. <laughs> and how do we know Peter's uh, sermon was successful? Well, it says in verse 41, those who accepted his message, so they had to hear it, they had to be drawn into it, if they accepted it, were baptized. And about 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Not bad that, for a rookie. That's not bad <laughs> at all. Just showing up to church one day like, hey, you're preaching. Wait, what? <laughs> that's, a, that's a heck of an altar call. Yeah. In last week's podcast, we began our study of the Book of Acts by observing that exciting churches that impact their communities are evangelistic. That's the result of the Holy Spirit. Today, we see that great churches in the tradition of the early days of the church must also feature effective biblical preaching. We're going to look at a third element next week, but but let's pause on this one because there has to be a so what. How can we apply 
what we've learned from Peter's sermon to our life. What, what does it say to preachers? The preachers who are listening to this podcast, what does Peter's sermon say to them? Peter is sending them a get better card, not because they're sick, <laughs> but because they need to get better. <laughs> well, it's true. I mean, it's true for, for all preachers, we need to always be improving. We can never get to the point mm -hmm. where we think we're the greatest preacher or God's gift to humanity that we've arrived because we always have room to grow and grow significantly. Yeah. I've often said I've got no cure for complacency. When someone says it's good enough for my church, that's, that's sad. Peter preaches an incredibly effective sermon, and he does so by getting out of the Jewish traditions, preaching as Jesus did. And um, we will do well to imitate what Peter has done here. But what does it say to non-preachers? Fine to talk about preaching, but if you're not a biblical communicator, why would you care about this sermon in Acts chapter 2? There are a lot of our listeners going, oh man, i got to find another church. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, this is the whole reason for Crosstalk Global, isn't it? Yeah. We know that 95% of all Christian workers in the world have had no formal training. They're doing the best they can, but they don't haven't even seen what we've seen today in Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. Churches around the world do need sermons as well-crafted as Peter's. Relevant, interactive, biblical, with a clear idea, inductive, application-oriented. That's what we teach preachers around the world and what they teach others. Look, if you're hungering for the kind of sermon that we have just heard Peter preach, maybe you want to give to Crosstalk. Because when you do, we're helping make more of these kind of preachers around the world. So let's get back to the future. Let's not lose sight that the Holy Spirit has given us a passion for evangelism. And let's take the Bible seriously and proclaim it as effectively as we read in this passage. If you can't be a preacher, you can help develop one. How should church leaders help their congregation know God? They can preach relevant, interactive, Bible-based sermons that inductively present the idea of each biblical passage, then calls for specific behavioral change. I trust that today's discussion of God's Word has been helpful and serve as an encouragement to not just be hearers of the word, but doers. Together, let's bring God's word to life, to our lives this week. The Crosstalk Podcast is a production of Crosstalk Global, equipping biblical communicators so every culture hears God's voice. To find out more about this educational nonprofit organization, please visit www.crosstalkglobal.org. You can also support this show by rating it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're enjoying it. Be sure to listen next Friday as we continue our discussion of the book of Acts. You won't want to miss it. <laughs>